0: And have a seat. Have a seat. It's so great to be here. You guys look really, really good. I just have to say, um, there's been a few I've noticed that uh, struggling today, but um, but everybody looks so good, and I'm so happy that you're here. Um, listen, if we're gonna be friends, you've got to deal with my humor, which is just weird. I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna be truthful. It's just weird, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm getting to the place now for five years at our church that uh, that that they're finally starting to get me. Uh, It took a while. I said, if you're new, new, I say say a lot, if you're new, you have to know something about us. We're a loud church. I'm a loud person. And and if we're going to be friends, you've got to understand my my humor, which is strange. I'll just say that. I don't know how else to put it. It's just that's the way that it is. Uh, Side note, uh, when I first met Pastor Corey, I didn't think he liked me. The entire time he would be in, I would be preaching and he would be sitting on the front row, which, I, which is always a good thing, by the way. He'd be sitting on the front row, leaning forward and making no expression whatsoever. Now that bothered me. So if, if you want me to think that I like or that you like me, just smile. So he was making no expression and, uh, and then I realized he was a lot older than I thought and that would impress me as well. I was like, you are much older than I realized. But you know what? God's been good to him. I am much, I am much younger than you think. <laughs> I have been blessed with much gray hair at 38 years old, and that's just what God did. God was like, you know what, to keep you humble. <laughs> so that's what I deal with. Man, I'm so glad to be here today at Momentum, and uh, what a great, great story of God's faithfulness you have as a church, and Pastor Ross and Amy, what great leaders. Man, God has blessed you. Yeah. Um I'm so excited to be here. Love what God's doing here and and I'm going to preach my heart out to you, but what I'm going to tell you r- before I get into anything is I'm going to preach to you and then at the end we're going to we're going to talk about a ministry that I represent called Feed 1, which is by Convoy of Hope. Feed 1 feeds children around the world and and we're going to ask that God Put in your heart that we can be a part of feeding a million kids around the world. And we believe momentum can be a part of that. Right now we're feeding 177,000, but we know that there are so many more children around the world to be fed. And we believe that momentum can be a part of that. Amen. We're excited about what God is doing. So I have three children. Uh, uh, My my kids are going to get up on the screen right now. I have three children. My son Jude uh, is 11. He was born with a big head. My son Cruz is eight years old. He was born with a big head. And then my daughter Indy, who's in my wife's arms and didn't want to be in this picture whatsoever, when she was born, she was born with a perfectly sized head. And we were very excited about that. Because if you suffer from big-headed problems, you know. You enter into a room. Your head goes first. It's it's your intelligence, but most people don't know that, and so uh, we were so excited when when she was born with a normal-sized head. We said, thank you, Lord Jesus. We love her the most, too. We love her more than our other children. We don't tell them that, but when I travel places, we love her more. She, she's a church planting baby. Uh, we had a little bit of a gap there because when we were planting a church, we knew we wanted to have another child. And my wife, every now and then, she would, she, she would look at me and she'd say, do you think it's time? And I would say, what do you think? She would say, no. No, we're planting a church. So we held off until the point that we could not any longer because we love each other. And then we uh, had a baby. So I'm so happy to be in a place that gets me. I want to preach to you a message today that I call Mountain Movers. I believe that God is going to help us to to be mountain movers in the lives of children. But I also believe God wants to move some mountains in your life. I I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what situation you face. But I do know one thing. God is a mountain mover. And he wants to be able to move the mountains and the struggles and the the difficulties that are in your life. But I, I do believe there's something very powerful about availability. I heard Pastor Ross say something in the first service. He said eventually God will stop moving To you if he can't move through you. I believe that God wants to move in our lives and we have to become available to him. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter number 17 verse number 20. The book of Matthew chapter 17 verse number 20. It'll also be on the screen. Matthew chapter 17 verse number 20. It says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Say to this mountain, move from here to there, and nothing will be impossible for you. Uh, this message is called Mountain Movers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be in church. Lord, I pray that you would speak your word. I pray that you would speak your heart to us as a body. God, I pray that you would have your way, God, that we would hear from you only what we're supposed to. God, and I pray that you would only put in me what you want to say to this group. church. Nothing more, nothing less. Let us leave this room knowing that we've been in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In your name we pray and everybody said, amen. 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 Uh, When I was a child and I I grew up in church, I was born on the back pew of our church, figuratively speaking. Uh, I was raised in church and when I was a kid, I I used to hear my dad preach on this verse and I would hear people talk about this verse and I love this verse. It in fact became one of my heroes to hear in all of the Bible because it made me believe that I could be a spiritual superhero. It made me believe that I could move mountains with my mind, and I thought if God wanted to give me that ability, he's going to give me that ability, and I'm going to take it to show and tell because there's no way that I'm going to have the ability to move things with my mind and not go to show and tell in my school and then take something with me to move and say, watch this. I'm going to move this with my brain because God does great things. Move See, when I was a kid, I would walk outside because we lived in Arkansas growing up and we didn't have mountains, we had trees. And I would walk outside and I would look at the trees out in front of my house. And I thought, I took the Bible literally at this verse and I thought, God, if you want to do great things in my life and you want to move mountains, I think that you can move this tree. And so I would. You ever exercise your spiritual muscles and it makes you a little sweaty? I would be staring at that tray and waiting for God to move it. And I I didn't really see a lot of trees move in my life. I I didn't see a lot of cars move in my life. Did you know that when asked, people normally say that their favorite superhero power, that if they had the ability, would be to fly. Mine was always that I could move things with my mind. See, we've all prayed things and asking God, Lord, would you move this mountain? Would you move this in my life? But now that most of us are a little grown up, it's more of a spiritual and more of an adult prayer now, isn't it? God, if you're real, let me get this new job. God, if you're real, let me get this girl right now. God, if you're real, cancel the test right now. God, if you're real, I pray that you would heal this cancer diagnosis. God, I pray that you're real, that you would begin to create a breakthrough in my finances. But see, this verse has a little bit more depth to it. It has a backstory that I want to talk to you about. It has something that will connect with our heart and with our circumstances. See, I believe that God wants to connect not only my heart, but He wants to connect my right now. Sometimes we think about the moving of God and His faithfulness as something for another moment, something for later on. But I think it might surprise some of us if you and I begin to believe that God not only wants to move in my later, He wants to move in my right now. He wants to move in my tomorrow, and He wants to move in my right here. That's what God does he's a he's a faithful God who understands that his word is true and the power of God is something that he wants to reveal to each and every one of us every now and then God likes to give grace he likes to give grace for your situation but right now that God is saying to you I wants to say to you get out see some of you are going through some some things right now that God is saying to you I want to give you grace to walk through this I want you to be able to walk through your pain, walk through your struggle, walk through your difficulty, and know that the grace of God is going to sustain you. But there's others of us in this room that you are going through some things that you have put yourself in, and God is saying to you, get out. Sometimes God gives grace, and sometimes God says, get out. So, But without a life of prayer, how do we know the difference? Sometimes we go to people in our life, and we say, explain to me what I'm going through. But without a life of prayer, you and I don't always understand what God is saying to us. It's my prayer life that connects me to the heartbeat of God. It's when I call out to him that he connects me back to what he's doing in my life. So I want to go with you a little further in this verse. In Matthew 17, verse number 14, it says, And then they came to the crowd. A man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. So notice we find Jesus confronted by the father of a young boy who to him is an epileptic. And we see that there are symptoms. He falls into the fire. He falls into the water. But notice Jesus immediately knew that there was something more to the story. Jesus immediately knew that it wasn't necessarily an illness. It was a spirit trying to kill this little boy. The father of the boy says, I brought him to your disciples and they they could not heal him. When was the last time you ever faced anything in your life that you had no idea what to do about? There was something standing in front of you, a situation that you were facing and you were looking at it and you had no idea what to do. A few weeks ago, My wife called me and she was just a little bit frantic. She was at Costco and if you've ever been to Costco, you know that even just walking in the door sometimes creates panic. We were, she was at Costco and she was in the parking lot getting ready to drive home and somebody honked at her, pulled up along beside her and said, your brake lights don't work. Your brake lights don't work. My wife said, you have to fix these brake lights. See, you need to know something about me when God passed out abilities, he gave me a few. But the one thing God was like, I'm going to give your father and not you is the ability to hold tools. <laughs> I, have, I have three screwdrivers in my house, and two of them I've had for 10 years because they came with the TV I had to put together. <laughs> right word to use to describe that tool. I don't have many tools. And she said, you're going to have to fix this. She came home, pulled it into the garage, and she stood there. And I went out and I stood and I looked at the car. (laughs) So what do we do now? I said, I got an idea. I got in the driver's seat and I started to pump the brakes. I said, you tell me when the light comes on. I pumped the brakes a few times, lights didn't come on. I pumped the brakes a few times, lights started to come on. We started to realize that something was wrong. So I went to my neighbor, his name is Dale, and Dale's always working on his car. He's got a Dodge Viper he's constantly working on. I went over to my neighbor, I said, Dale, I need your help, man. I don't know what to do. My brakes, my brake lights aren't working the right way. And he said, he said, what kind of car do you have? I said, I have a Kia. He said, you take it to the Kia dealership. Thank you, Dale. So I did the only thing else I knew to do. Next Sunday, I went up to a friend of mine named Tony. Tony comes to my small group. He comes to my community group. And I said, Tony, I said, I have a problem with my brakes. And he said, I'll fix it on Tuesday night. Tuesday night rolls around. We get through with our conversation at my small group. And he said, hey, show me where your tools are. I said, Tony, I don't have any tools, man. He said, let me go out to the car. I'll see if I can find something. What kind of human being just goes to their car and says, let me see if I can find a tool? Not me. (laughs) He goes out, he finds apparently the right tool, goes into my garage, fixes my brake lights in about five minutes when it would have taken me at least three years to at least walk out of the garage, quit staring at my car, trying to figure out a problem. See, the struggle that some of us face in this room is that we are staring at the problem, not quite knowing what to do about it. We are looking at a situation. Some of us in this room are sitting in our garage looking at the problem without a clear understanding of what to do, knowing that something is wrong, but maybe we're unwilling. Maybe we're too prideful, or maybe we're too exhausted to even try to ask the question of the one who knows the answer. The prideful person says, I'll fix what is broke. But the prayerful person says, I can't fix what I do not understand. The disciples had a realization that something was wrong, but they didn't have the understanding of what to do or what to even try to do. If you realize that something is wrong, why do you and I not readily ask the one who has the answer? We have a God in heaven who knows us by name to the point that he's willing to walk through us through every struggle, every trial, and every difficulty, and yet most of us tend to stand in the garage staring at the problem without calling upon the God who already has the answer. See, in my imagination, I picture Simon Peter. No, no, let's not bother Jesus. Let's not bother Jesus. He's a busy man. Did you know we can't sigh it? We just found out yesterday, but we're going to bring you to Jesus. No, no, he's too busy. We can't have that conversation right now. Let's take care of this ourselves. And so they try to take care of a situation by themselves. Because Simon Peter, in that moment, walked in a position of pride. See, a position of pride will leave every broken situation broken. Have you ever thought this to yourself? I don't know if I should bother Jesus about my business. I don't know if I should bother Jesus about my family. I don't know if I should bother Jesus about my sickness. Sometimes as a a faith people, as a church, sometimes we have an idea that God is going to eventually become bothered with my prayers. But that's what I call jacked up logic. Because I don't believe that Jesus ever is wanting us to stay away. As a a good father, he's calling us to come close. He's calling us to come into his place. He's calling us to come near to him. So let's take it one step further. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. The message version says, whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I am doing, I will do it. See, I'm the father of three children, uh, an 11-year-old boy who's addicted to Fortnite and an 8-year-old boy who's addicted to Fortnite. The people who laughed said, yeah, we got some addicted people in my house. Addicted to this game. And See, my boys like to buy things. I don't know about about your family, but my boys think that money grows on trees, which is the exact same thing my parents used to say to me. They like to buy things. And the other day, my, my son Cruz, he came up to me and he said, Dad, can we go to Target? I said, why? He goes, buy stuff. So you just want to go to Target and buy stuff. What are we going to do at Target? Buy stuff. Well, here's the thing. Sometimes I'm going to be going to Target. And because I'm already headed in that direction, if I'm going there, according to my will, we're headed in that direction. And they might be able to get something that we're going to get at Target because stuff might come along with it because I'm already headed in that direction. It's already something that I'm doing. But on the other hand, whenever my children come to me and say, can I buy a skin on Fortnite, that's almost never according to my will. (laughs) It's never really going to be something that I'm going to do. So they might be able to get something at Target according to what I'm already doing, but the chances of them getting something on Fortnite and buying a new skin is almost never according to my will. So we're probably never going to have that actually happen. I think it would surprise some of us to know that half of our prayers are me asking God to move according to what I'm doing rather than to what he's doing. We pray and ask God to bless my will rather than wanting him to help me align myself with his will. When my prayers align with God, he's going to work. But when my prayers are to align God with my will, he's going to wait. Never walk into an opportunity where you can connect with God and then say to him, God, this is what I want, and I'm going to judge your ability and your effectiveness and your faithfulness on what I want. Because oftentimes God waits on what we want, but according to his will is what I need. And the Bible says that he will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. God is a supplier of my needs. He's not always a supplier of my wants. And oftentimes we judge God's abilities and his faithfulness on my wants rather than on my needs. See, prayer was meant for more than as an avenue for my getting. It was meant as a path to my understanding. Some of us have the position of faith, but we're not in the place of understanding. We have faith, but we don't know where to go and we don't know what to do. So let's go another step further. Matthew chapter 17, and Jesus answered. He's talking to his disciples. I want you to picture this for a moment. He says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring the boy here to me. Y'all can't do this. Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast this out? So I like to use my imagination when I read through the Bible and picture Jesus for just a moment Jesus called his disciples twisted and faithless. Oh, oh twisted generation. You could actually take the word twisted and you can say, "Oh, you are sick." I think Jesus was mad. Because I've never had anybody call me twisted as a term of endearment. <laughs> you so sick. So twisted doesn't really happen Jesus was like are you kidding me and then he said how long am I to bear with you which means patience he says how long am I to have patience with you how long am I to sit with you and have patience in other words Jesus was saying I'm trying hard to be patient but you don't get it and you don't understand and so I want to pose the question to you what did they not understand they did not understand the concept of equal access For a married couple, this is what equal access is. It's what yours is mine and what's mine is yours. My wife would say what's mine is mine and what's yours is also mine. The spiritual definition for equal access is one's privilege and ability to connect with God on the same level available to every person. In other words, equal access means that I pray to God and he shows me great and mighty things. I pray to God and he speaks to me. I pray to God and we develop a strong relationship. I pray to God and he blesses me. How do some of you interpret that? You say, man, my pastor, Pastor Ross, seems to know Jesus better than me and I know why. Because he's on a stage. He's a little bit higher than everybody else physically. God hears his prayers better. But when we have that type of a mindset, we tend to wait for somebody else to do the hard and the heavy lifting of my spirituality for me. See, 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. Some of us do not pray correctly because we do not approach him correctly. We don't pray with confidence, so we have not approached God with confidence. Confidence. Some of you base your relationship on your heavenly father, rather than, or on, you base your relationship with your heavenly father on the relationship you had with your earthly father. Dad was mean, so you're concerned that God is going to be mean. You had to walk on eggshells in your family, so you're concerned that you've got to walk on eggshells in the presence of God. You couldn't walk into your father's presence without him being irritated, and so you become nervous that walking into your heavenly father's presence is going to create irritation in him. But John said, this is my confidence. Hebrews 4 says, let us therefore become, become boldly to the throne room of grace. There's only one way for you and I to pray after today with a bold confidence that comes from knowing that you are son and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, you have what the disciples have. You have equal access. It means that your dad is my dad. Your father is Pastor Ross's father. Your king is Pastor Ross's king. And my dad, my dad does not play favorites. The disciples had Jesus on their side, and they thought they could accomplish it on their own. You couldn't, and you can't. You have access, and you have access. You can accomplish it on your own. But our Heavenly Father says, come into my presence where there is fullness of joy. So how are you and I going to pray from now on? How are we going to pray from now on? I like to say with a cocky confidence that knows that you're the son of a king. With a beautiful boldness that only a daddy's girl could really ever fully understand. And my daddy's girl said, yeah, I was loved more than my brothers too. So we know we can walk into the presence of God with a boldness that means I'm the son of the most high God. I know my father and he hears me when I pray. There are three attitudes that we generally pray to God from. Determination, desperation, and dependence. Determination is the attitude of persistence. I become determined because I have confidence. Determined prayers are powerful prayers because their prayers have purpose. It's your prayer for healing. It's the prayer for breakthrough in your finances. It's the prayer that God would rescue your family. Persistent people are heard by God. Sometimes those determined prayers start out as desperate prayers. You need God to move right now. God, we need your spirit now. God, we need a miracle now. God, we need blessing now. God, my family needs you right now. It's your failing business. It's your broken relationship. And those prayers, if you've ever prayed them, you know that they are filled with tears in your eyes and you prayed them with a pit in your stomach. See, desperate prayers are heard too. But God answers desperate prayers, but see, sometimes desperate people who pray desperate prayers do not often maintain that relationship. Once God has answered our desperate prayers, we feel okay to move on. Your relationship with God doesn't exist until desperation rises again. But what about a dependent prayer? A prayer prayed from an attitude of dependence is more. It's an, in fact, all three. It's determined prayer wrapped in total dependence on God. And the reason is that it's desperate is because whoever has prayed these type of prayers knows that God is the author and the finisher of all things. He started it and he's going to finish it in your life. He brought you to a place that you didn't understand and he's going to walk with you through that place as well. You don't always have the answer, but God already knows the outcome. He's the author and the finisher the beginning and the ending he knows where you are where you've been and he also knows where you're going it's a powerful thing to understand I want to speak to your mountains this morning what mountains do you face right now that seem will not move what are the mountains that you look at in your life right now and say God how can we move these mountains On, I'm not sure how we're going to be able to move these mountains in our lives I have to go to God There are five things, as we wrap this up, there are five things that prayer does in our life. Number one, prayer draws us near to God. Prayer brings us near to the heart of God. We'll never understand someone that we don't actually know. John 15, 15 says that Jesus no longer calls us servants, but friends. It's crazy to think that I'm God's friend. God calls me a friend. He calls me more than just a servant. He calls me a friend. And God speaks to those that He calls friends. Number two, prayer brings light into the darkness. Sometimes we miss a powerful point of prayer. We miss the fact that it brings power. Ephesians 6.12 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's in my life when I realize that authorities and cosmic powers Prayer takes on a greater importance in my life when I realize that it is the greatest weapon I have to defeat the schemes of the enemy. See, not only do I love prayer, but I love worship. And you guys have some amazing worship in this place. When I understand that prayer combined with worship is your greatest weapon, you'll never look at prayer and worship the same way again. You will come into the presence of God, hands lifted high with desperation. Number three, prayer changes me. God never changes. The Bible tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sometimes we think God is busy upstairs reading leadership books, listening to podcasts. I just want to be a better Jesus. I want to grow my leadership ability. I got got eight billion people I'm trying to rule. I just want to grow. The Bible tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what that means? It means that when my prayer connects to God, it connects to his character, which has been in existence since the beginning of time. But prayer, it changes me. It draws me near, it pulls me close. I become more of the man that I know God's called me to be. Prayer changes me. Number four, prayer protects. So y'all got to understand the prayer, of power, prayer the power of darkness is real and prayer puts God's hand over us. Prayer protects. Number five, prayer brings breakthrough. Let me explain, explain what a breakthrough prayer looks like. It's the same prayer that you've been praying over your family time and time again. It's the same prayer that you've been praying over your finances time and time again the same prayer for the salvation of your friend time and time again and then there is a change that maybe you didn't see coming or maybe now that you look at your breakthrough you see I understand that this is the faithfulness and the character of God which is good see you and I need to remember that there's only one who moves mountains and he does so through the power of prayer so let me ask the question again what mountains do you need moved in your life What mountain did you bring with you into the church today, into Momentum? Did you sit in your chair and say, God, there is a mountain that I cannot move. There is a struggle I cannot maintain. There is a brokenness that I have not seen healing from. What mountain do you have in your life that only God can bring healing to? I pray breakthrough in your family. I pray breakthrough in your finances. I pray breakthrough in your business. There are mountains for you to see overcome. Because we know that God is a mountain mover. But see church, church is the church. We are the church. See the church that I pastor compel church just outside of Phoenix in Glendale, Arizona is in a high school. Sometimes I look out at our church and I say, listen, look around you. And they look around, and they say, yes. And I say, remember, this is not a church building. You and I are the church building. We are the church. And when you and I begin to remember that, we remember that the mountains that we need moved are as close to us as the God who is in us. Simon Peter was a unique character, wasn't he? Jesus said, you're Peter, and I'll build my rock upon this church. See, what we're doing today is more than just asking God to move your mountains. What we're doing as a church is we're saying, God, can you move mountains in the lives of children that we'll never see? I wanna show you some pictures that are on the screen. My wife and I visited uh, the country of Kenya just a few weeks ago, and my wife was taking better pictures than mine that I got with my phone, and she was talking to these children who live every single day because of the mountain movers who partner with Feed One by Convoy of Hope at $10 a month. Here's what we know. We know that sometimes my mountain is that I can't find the nearest Starbucks, which is a surprise considering they're everywhere. See, sometimes my biggest mountain is that my car quite won't start. But sometimes the mountains for the hearts and the the lives of children like this in Karyobangi, Kenya, or that they might not have a meal today if it wasn't for partners like you. If it wasn't for people like you. Did you know that in 11 different countries, we've got 100,000 kids who desperately long for food. And I saw them at this who stand outside the gates of the feeding center and say, could I get in? And we say, we would love it. We don't have the partners yet. 100,000 kids who are standing outside our center saying, could we get in? See, I believe today that God is going to move through the hearts of Momentum Church, and we're going to be able to partner together to move mountains and children in Kenya or Haiti or in El Salvador or Nicaragua or Ethiopia through you and I partnering together. Can you and I be mountain movers? Yes, we can. Are all of us mountain movers yet? Not yet. But can we be? Yes. So maybe you've got a mountain in your life that you need God to move. But today we believe that God is going to move mountains in the lives of children somewhere in the world today. I want you to take three minutes before Pastor Ross comes. And I want you to watch this story of a young lady named Kate. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www dot